Well, we are in a series of finishing up the series this morning called Ugly Christmas Sweater. Thus, my attire for the day and our, our theme and our motto has been wear one, don't be one. And so we'll finish off our series today talking about our, the final ugly sweater that some people uh, can be characterized by and, and uh, what they demonstrate in their life. But just wondering, how many of you have ever made a Christmas list? At some point or another, maybe not this year, but at some point you made a Christmas list. Okay? How many of you tend to go simple? You kind of go like kind of small. You don't ask for anything big. You just you put small things, like things that would be reasonable. How many of you think reasonably when you make a list? How many of you go big when you make a list? <laughs> I see a couple of hands. Like, I go big. Like, I'm going to ask. Like, you, you want to know what I want? I'll let you know what I want. Now, some people, they, they've gone small. One grandma I, re- I read wrote that her grandson asked for something pretty simple. You know what he wanted on his Christmas list? He asked for Worcestershire sauce. Now, I don't know how he spelled it, but she knew what he wanted. That's a, that's a pretty simple, pretty small ask. But then I've heard of others on the other end of things that had pretty audacious asks, right? I mean, like, they're, they're going big. Like, some people say, go big or go home. They're like, well, they're going to go big. So there was one that asked for Justin Bieber. Not a Justin Bieber t-shirt or tickets to a Justin Bieber concert. They wanted Justin Bieber. Like, talk about an audacious ask. Uh, somebody else wanted, and this one's probably fairly common, especially among younger girls. Maybe not always younger girls. You know what they wanted? What she wanted? A real-life unicorn. Doesn't everybody? I mean, talk about audacious asks, right? What about you? What have you ever asked for something like just audacious, like crazy, or had a child or somebody else that made the list that you were aware of, and like really? And you're thinking, who do you think I am? And why would I give you that, right? Today, as we finish up our series, Ugly Christmas Sweater, I want to look at somebody that had a pretty big ask, pretty big request of Jesus. Like, talk about audacious. I don't know if you can get any more audacious than what they asked of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. It's page 697 if you want to grab a KWC Bible. We'll look at one giant huge, incredible ask that somebody had of Jesus, what they wished for from Jesus. We'll pick it up, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, well, that was nice of her, asked a favor of him. Now, a few things that I want to make sure that we're kind of all together on this morning, whether you're on-site or online. Mother of Zebedee's sons. We know from Scripture that Zebedee is the father of James and John, the two, to, two of the 12 disciples 
of Jesus. Sometimes they're called the sons of Zebedee. Sometimes they're called James and John. Sometimes they're called the, the sons of Thunder. Like, well, where did they get that nickname? And it's actually a nickname that Jesus gave them. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like, oh, where did that nickname come from? How did you get that nickname? Why did somebody call you that? And like, it's just a nickname that stuck from maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Well, how did they get the nickname Sons of Thunder? Well, some think that it goes back to a time when Jesus and the disciples were walking along, and there was a group of people that were giving Jesus a, a hard time. They weren't receptive to Jesus, and James and John spoke up, and they said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and wipe them out? Like, and, and so maybe some would suggest that that's where they got the nickname Sons of thunder, right? Because they're just like, you want us to knock them out, take them out, call down fire from heaven and, and wipe them out? <sighs> Reading this passage, you might wonder if actually thunder is the nickname for their mom. And they're the sons of thunder, the thunder being their mom, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. What, what I want to go back to is the, the then. The then indicates something, right? It, it, it indicates timing of something. It indicates sequence. It indicates that what we have here is happening after something that already happened. And for our time together today, it might be helpful to know what, what this is following, what happened before this. At some point to another passage of Scripture, Mark has an account that is very similar to what we're going to read today that includes James and John, but it doesn't mention their mother. It has the same request, the same favor that the mom is going to ask, is, is the same thing that we see in Mark that James and John asked. And so some think that perhaps James and John asked a favor of Jesus, and Jesus said no. So they went to mom and had mom do it. Because moms can be more persuasive. That's possible, but I don't really buy into that. I think the then follows what we see earlier in Matthew chapter 20, because the then that is earlier in Matthew chapter 20 is the same that is before the passage that we see in Mark that talks about James and John asking the favor of Jesus, the same favor that's asked here in Matthew 20, is preceded by a passage, a, a very intimate conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about the future, in particular his future, and that he's going to die via crucifixion, and then raise again three days later. So right on the heels of a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about being killed, crucified, James and John have this request. And in this 
situation, we see that it's the mom asking. And I think it's a, there's something that says, well, there's, there's a problem. You, you got two different stories. And so that's why some will say, well, there are two different stories. One was James and John first asking, and then the second time it was their mom asking because Jesus didn't give them the answer they wanted the first time. Their mom asked them for the second time. Well, you could remedy it that way, or you could just understand it as what is being asked here is really on account of James and John. It's not so much that their mom is asking a favor. She's just asking what James and John want. And she's the one for, from whom the request is being made, but it's, it's ultimately James and John that are asking for this favor. And I would buy into the understanding that it's the same time, the same happening in both Mark and Matthew. And that Mark just leaves out the mom because ultimately it's James and John that were seen as the ones making the request. But I'm just curious, do you get a little bit nervous when somebody asks a favor of you? So, hey, would you do me a favor? Does that make you nervous? Some of you get nervous. How many of you, it depends on who's asking, like, like hey, are you going to do me a favor? Like, I don't know. I've, fall, I've fallen for that before. Can you do me a favor? And I'm like, sure. And then they ask you something like, yeah, that's not what I want to do. That's not really something I should do or can do, right? I love how Jesus responds. He says, what is it you want? He doesn't say, sure, because can Jesus do people a favor? Absolutely. If anybody can do somebody a favor, Jesus can do somebody a favor. But, he says, what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, that's not a small ask, is it? When you step into your kingdom, when you take the throne, I want one son on your right hand and one son on your left hand. What is she asking? She's asking that they be the second and third in command of the kingdom of God. That they have the, the authority, the power, the recognition, essentially, of God. Above everybody else. The only one above them is Jesus. Well, that's good. At least she didn't ask for them to sit in Jesus' place. But that's, a, that's an incredible, audacious ask. Well, how does Jesus respond? He says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Now, sometimes the language that we have in Scripture can be a little hard to follow, can be a little hard to like, well, what's Jesus talking about? The cup, can you, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Like, is Jesus going to go to McDonald's and go through and like get a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that? You know, like go through the whole thing of all the drinks that you can get at McDonald's and then drink it? Is that like... Is that what Jesus is talking about? What Jesus is talking about, because he uses the same phraseology later on, right? If you're familiar with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
right before Jesus is arrested and then put on trial and then crucified, Jesus is praying and having a very heartfelt, serious conversation with the Father. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass before me. So the cup represented one's allotment in life. For Jesus, it represented his impending sacrifice on the cross. And so Jesus is saying, are, are you willing to go through what I'm going to go through? Are you able to do that? That's a pretty big answer, or pretty big question. And how do they answer that? Sure, we can do that. Now, how many of you have ever asked somebody if they were ready for a task, and they replied that they were, and you knew that they weren't? Have you ever had that? Like, let me give you an example. They want to have a pet. They want a dog. And you say, are you ready to be responsible for a dog? Do you know what it takes to take care of a dog? Because if we get a dog, you're going to be the one that cleans up after them. You're going to be the one that has to, to brush them. And you're going to be the one that has to wake up in the middle of the night and put them out. Did any, have you, any of you ever had that kind of a conversation? Something similar to that? I see a few hands going, yeah, we've had that. Now, parents, we don't want to make the kids feel bad today. But just give me the nod, okay? Just give me the nod. Any of you ever said that knowing they're not ready to do what they're supposed to do. So Jesus says, are you really able to drink the cup? Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We can do that. We're going to do that. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Jesus knows what's going to happen to them. Church historians tell us, and we follow scripture and, and no church history, we know that James ends up becoming a martyr for the faith. John does not. He died because of his faith. John dies of old age, but he also is imprisoned. Goes through a variety of hardships because of his faith. He says, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were what? Indignant. They were upset. They were ticked. They were mad with the two brothers. It doesn't say that they were mad with the mom. They were mad at the brothers. Why are they mad at James and John and not James and John's mom? Because they saw that ultimately the request was being made on behalf of James and John. It was James and John's idea. It was their heart that they were taking issue with. Not just, well, yeah, look at their mom trying to come in and put them above us. No, they're seeing James and John. And they're upset because they see that James and John are trying to get ahead. They're trying to become something in the kingdom of God. 
We're trying to get authority and position and power above them. And they're upset, right? They're upset. And if there's an ugly Christmas sweater, we see it right here. We talk about don't, it's, it's good to wear one, but don't be one. James and John are being an ugly Christmas sweater. And here's what I want us to see. Here's an observation. We get ugly when our lives are marked by pride. And pride shows itself in a variety of ways we see manifested here in James and John. We see selfish ambition, right? They wanted to be seen as more important than others. The right hand and the left hand of Jesus. They wanted to be more important. There's vain conceit. They wanted status without sacrifice. Uh, yeah, sure, we're willing to drink the cup, but initially, they weren't willing. When Jesus gets arrested, James and John, they're running like forest. Run, forest, run. James and John, they split. They, they are gone, right? It was all about self-serving. They wanted authority over others, they, like our agenda. And I think pride is oftentimes one that's easier seen in others than it is ourselves. We can look at others and go, they're prideful. And we go, that's an ugly Christmas sweater right there. Here's the thing with ugly Christmas sweaters. Ugly Christmas sweaters didn't begin as ugly Christmas sweaters. In that, the people originally that were making and giving what we would call an ugly Christmas sweater, what did they see them as? Something beautiful, something okay, something that would be well-received, right? Others then, sometimes it was because it was years later, like, yeah, that's, that's not cool, that's not pretty, that's not cute, that's ugly with a capital U, capital G, capital L, capital Y. And oftentimes, oftentimes, we can see ugly in others and not see it in ourselves. Would, would you agree with that? So what are some ways that pride might show itself in our life that we may not be as likely to recognize because we're not asking to sit at the right hand or left hand of the throne of Jesus, right? We're not asking that. But we might be just as prideful, have just as much of an issue with this ugly sweater as James and John. So let me just give you some that I come across. First one, assuming you know more than others and tuning them out. So somebody's starting to say something. Maybe it's Sunday school class. Maybe it's a team meeting, business meeting. Maybe it's at home. And somebody is talking and you just know that you know more than they do. And you don't really care about what they have to say, and you just completely tune them out. You get on your phone, check the weather, check the ball scores, whatever it may be, but you've, turned, you've tuned them out. Uh, another way that pride shows itself that might be overlooked is seeing a task as something that's beneath you. Like a person in my position where I'm at in the company or, or whatever it may be, shouldn't have to do this. I, I was faced with this several years ago. I was, um, when I was a youth pastor, I was a camp uh, director for one of our teen camps. 
at Wesleyan Woods. And so was, was in charge of the, the whole camp, making sure that everything went as, as smooth as possible. And I had a, a gentleman that was in charge of the guy's dorm and a lady that was in charge of the, the girl's dorm and, you know, making sure that things are taken care of, that uh, if there's any behavioral issues, that those get taken care of. Um, you know, keep me in tune, but you've got your responsibilities. It's like not really my job to, to be in the dorm and to take care of things in the dorm unless they, it got to a certain level. Well, there was one time where the gentleman that was in charge of the guy's dorm, the, the boy's head counselor, came to me. He's like, hey, we've we got a problem up in the dorm. I'm like, okay, okay, what is it? Somebody took a number two, and it's not in the toilet. It's on the top of the toilet. Okay, what'd you do with it? Nothing. Well, why are you telling me about it? Well, you should know. So I went and took care of it because it needed to be taken care of. Like, is that something the camp director should be having to do, in my opinion? No. But something that needs to be done, like, is it beneath me to clean up a toilet? It better not be. Now, I tell you this, and then I'm going to tell you something else. Pride is, should, be non, or should be anonymous. And so if, if you do something and it's non-anonymous, like giving or serving, like take a picture, here's me giving, here's me serving, hashtag blessed to serve, hashtag most humble guy I know, which none of us would really do that, right? Yeah, I tell you the story, and I've lost all of my credibility for the story that I told, but I, hopefully it gives you an idea of what pride can look like or should look like, shouldn't look like. But then we follow it up. It should be non, it should be anonymous. But if we have to get recognition for our giving, for our serving, it's actually a sign of pride not of humility. Here's, here's another one. Won't ask or accept help. It's a sign of pride. If you won't ask or accept help. And I know I've been there. Well, I don't want to be a bother. Yeah, but it might be a sign of pride. You're too good to ask for help. We like to be the one that's above others. Look at me being able to give help financially. Let me, you know, here I am giving help because physically I'm able to do something that somebody else isn't. But there can be humility in saying, I need help financially. I need help physically. I need help in some other kind of way. How else might pride show up? An unhealthy obsession with appearance. How might else pride show up? not working well with others because they don't know how to do things right. Like, you're the only one that knows how to do what needs to be done. And if that's the case, especially regularly, that's probably a sign of pride and that you, in fact, might be an ugly sweater to somebody else. Give you one more. 
if you struggle submitting to authority, like they don't deserve that position, they don't know more than you know, they haven't been doing it as long as you have, or whatever the case may be, and you can't submit, won't submit to authority, that's, that's another sign, another indication of pride, and that you likely are an ugly sweater to someone else. Well, Jimmy and John have found a freaky way, freaky fast way to upset the other disciples. And so here's a question. How does Jesus respond, right? He's got a situation on his hands. How does Jesus respond? Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. The, the way of the world is power, right? Like you want power, you want to be over other people. You want other people underneath you. You want other people to do what you say to do. You, you want other people to recognize how important, how mighty, how special you are. That's the way of the world. And Jesus begins by saying, this is how most people operate. They want to operate, I'm over you and you serve me. There's no question of authority or power. And he continues, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. You see, in the kingdom, greatness is not determined by position, but disposition. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's counterintuitive and counterculture. The world thinks that being a leader is all about getting people to serve you. The kingdom of God is all about serving other people. Jesus continues, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come Merry Christmas... To be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. We can never separate the coming of Christ. We can never separate Christmas from Good Friday. That's why tonight we will take communion as part of our Christmas Eve service. Because we recognize and we want to honor the fact that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. We understand that the true gift of Christmas is Jesus. And that Jesus became human so that he could experience everything that we experience, every temptation that we face, and yet live a life without sin so that he could die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. We'll look at this passage later on tonight. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain 
conceit. What we see in James and John here in this passage in Matthew chapter 20 and the ugly sweater that they had become. Rather, Paul writes, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, so important that we understand this. I'll, I'll, I'll address this a little bit more tonight. But just know this, Jesus became man, but Jesus is always God. Very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing take, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We'll talk more about that tonight and look at the following verses as well. Some powerful truth in there for us to take hold of tonight. Why did Jesus come? To serve. Why did Jesus come? To give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Why did Jesus come? Because of love. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. Christmas is about love. And here's our application. Embrace the beauty of love by putting others above. That's what we see in Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus' followers are called to do. Embrace the beauty of love by putting others above. Where pride is loving self above others, humility is loving others above self. The same John, whose mom came to Jesus and asked this favor, would later write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. The same John that seemed to just be about loving himself. What kind of recognition, what kind of power can I have? How can I get others to serve me? I want to be in a position above everybody else. That same John finally got it. Things clicked. He wrote these words. So, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, Merry Christmas, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we embrace the beauty of love by putting others Above. So how can we practically do that? Well, let's kind of go back to what I talked about earlier when we talked about how pride might show itself in our lives other than asking to sit at the right hand or left hand of God. One, we can listen. We can give others the gift of our attention. We can demonstrate humility by demonstrating that we value what other people have to say. 
we can be willing to do what other people in our position normally wouldn't do. We, we don't have the reply of, do you know who I am? Do you know what my position is? That we look to serve others, that nothing is beneath us when it comes to serving and helping others. Maybe we let someone else do something that we know that they would enjoy doing even though we might believe and maybe even know that we would do it better. But we let them do it and we don't criticize them when they do it. We submit to authority. We choose to do a random act of kindness without having to post a selfie or some kind of other post on it uh, on Facebook or share with other people uh, how great we are and how loving we are and how we're the most wonderful people we know. We just love others and we do it anonymously. We, We do it in a way that we're not looking to draw attention to ourselves. We just want to serve. We just want to love others. No doubt you can think of other ways that we can put others, that you can put others above yourself this Christmas season and beyond as the Holy Spirit directs. I want to give you one final thought. Receive his love, give his love. I think one of the hardest ways I talk about pride showing up and not asking or receiving help And I think it begins with asking and receiving help from the Lord. And I can't help but wonder if there's maybe somebody that's either here today or listening online that in a sense has been too prideful to receive God's help. Much like Peter would say to Jesus when Jesus said, you know, Nobody else washed one another's feet. Nobody else would would do the the lowest task there is. Everybody else kind of played the one, two, three, not it game. And Jesus, though, being the servant that he was and is, washed the disciples' feet. But Peter is like, no, you, you can't wash my feet. It seemed like a sign of humility, but in a way, it's, it's pride. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not willing to accept help, especially from you. And maybe there's some that have said, I, I don't need his help. And today would be the day that you understand that you need to humble yourself, recognize that you indeed are a sinner in need of a Savior, recognize that Jesus did step out of heaven, become a man, live a sinless life and die a sinner's death on the cross for you. And today receive the greatest gift that you could ever be given. And it is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay it off. It's a gift from Jesus to you that your sins can be forgiven, that you can have the hope that constant present assurance of an eternity with him because of what he's done. 
that peace within you where you know that you have peace with God, that your sins are forgiven, that there's nothing between you and a holy God. And then you have his peace and it brings great joy. And out of that, you're able to love others as Christ has loved you. So I'm gonna ask that all bow their heads, close your eyes. Have you received his love? Have you received his love today? If not, I'd invite you to open your, your arms, open your hands, open your heart, to recognize your need of a Savior, to receive his love. Maybe to just pray something along these words. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I thank you for being that Savior. I believe that you came, that you lived a sinless life, that you died in my place on the cross, and that you rose again. You died for me, now help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we're continuing in prayer, I think that there are many of us that need to continue to receive his love and understand his great love for us. And as we walk in that love, as we receive that love, that we are then called to give his love and in humility recognize and confess where we have fallen short of that, where we have lived in pride and humble ourselves and ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us, to give us the love to love others as he has loved us. And so, Father, may that be our prayer today, that we would be recipients of your love, that we would be open vessels, ready to receive your love, but also ready to give that love to others that we would serve others as you have served, that we would put others above us as you have demonstrated. And so, Lord, in doing so, we may help them and honor you. And send in for your name that I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song as we close it's a song, uh, some of you maybe are familiar with the, the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Uh, it's a song that we've sung a couple of uh, Christmases prior, but it has these words, Night of wonders still and silent, heaven's brilliance from above, light of glory pierced the darkness, mercy pierced my heart with love. The chorus says, this is Jesus King of glory, here to rescue from the fall. Son of God, who comes to save us. Prince of peace and Lord of all. And then verse 2. Oh, the mystery, who could fathom? God would leave his holy throne for a manger, for a sinner, for us all to be his own. The beauty of Christmas. Let's worship our King. Amen.
stand if you're able as we do that.